0: Hello, and welcome to the EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful, and we share or tell our stories. My name is Eric Chase, and we are powered by GEMS. Today, I have a fantastic guest that I met several years ago um, through the great collaboration of Robbie and Lisa with the EMS Leadership uh, Academy. Uh, This person has uh, taught me a lot of things about being self-reflective, about validating uh, humanity and feelings uh, about education and how to see things differently. And I want to introduce this person, and I and I want everyone to hear this bio. And it's not about uh, boastfulness and, and pridefulness. And, and as I know this person and have talked with him uh, more in preparation for this, I, I want each of you to know this comes from a, a level of humility. And yet this 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 person has done a lot of amazing things and will continue to do those in service of people in need. Uh, be it his brothers and sisters in in public safety and and, and veterans, as well as those patients that he encounters and the people that he instructs to to take care of patients. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Chris Smetma is the co-founder and senior director of emergency medical education for IAMED, an innovative EMS training and education company. He's also a former critical care flight paramedic and uh, and an HSR tech, and he'll be able to explain that to you in a minute, Uh, an EMS educator with over two decades of service to the public safety community. Chris has had the honor to work with both military and governmental agencies, assisting various units and departments within the US government and abroad supporting the war on terror. Chris is also a national speaker, has authored several medical education books, ranging from critical care medicine, air crew operations, and advanced cardiopulmonary transport. He's also in near and dear to my heart, the president and CEO of Mind the Frontline, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And and we'll let Chris talk about that here in a few minutes as well. He's an industry champion. He stands for organizational culture and mental health awareness with a passion for professional development and the advancement of EMS through the diversity, dynamic change and innovation that he wishes to work with people, become more creative and collaborative. Chris, welcome very much uh, to the EMS Improv Podcast.
1: Eric, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor to be on your podcast. And, you know, we've been trying to connect for a while. And I really appreciate this opportunity just to connect with you, sir. That that makes my heart happy.
0: And as we both were talking, you know, we know life happens. and, And we find that as we try to do things, oftentimes when we hit a an obstacle, if you will, or a challenge or an opportunity that different synonyms for the same thing that different people see. We just continued to see it as an opportunity to meet again. Um, we never said no, right? We, we did not deter ourselves from the opportunity that has finally availed itself to us to be together here um, looking at each other. Uh... We've also grown significantly in this time. So I think honestly that the universe worked in the most perfect way for this to be the moment that we're supposed to share some time together because every person that's gonna hear this through people that already know you and the people that are gonna to get to know you and that are gonna reach out to you and help support your organizations and be a part of them, uh, th- this is the best time. So what I'd like to know is, is IA Med, you guys have done great partnerships. This was a brainchild of, of yours and, and I'm assuming you had a little uh, nuclear uh, group of people that also helped keep you on point and, and gave you perspectives. So will you tell us and our listeners how I Med started and what your mission and vision is for how you help people?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's just, uh, you know, I look at it now and it was almost six years ago. And, you know, we uh, started IA Med and, you know, I think it came out of resiliency to tell you the truth. Um, at the time I was looking to, grow myself as an instructor. I was always already working for the education department at my flight agency. I was already a FTO and part of the flight academy. And so, you know, as the universe kind of presented the challenge of a, a back injury on the job, you know, it kind of took me on the sidelines. And unfortunately um, I wasn't able to fly for, you know, several years actually, as I went through treatment and PRP and physical therapy and shots and all, all sorts of tests um, it was a challenge, but in that challenge, um, the universe presented uh, another door for me, and that was to help develop training and education for the EMS space. You know, um, training and education was always very important to me. You know, I naturally gravitated towards EMS from fire just because I liked the sense of connecting with individuals on their worst day and making a difference. You know, I, I enjoyed being of service to others, really, and I felt like I was could make a bigger impact. In the critical critical care realm, just because it was something that was near and dear to my heart, I don't read books. You know, I'm not a huge book fan. I am now, but before I was growing up, I never read any books. But when you put a critical care manual in front of me or a Jim's book or, you know, some of those advanced literatures, man, I would just soak that knowledge up because it was intriguing to me. It was fascinating. And then I would find myself doing my agency training and stuff like that and realizing that a lot of it was just boring and stale and not up to date maybe. and it just wasn't delivering the education a way I thought it could be better online. Um, I met my co-founder John Reed uh, with IEmed and we, like you mentioned, had a really core nuclear group that made IA Med successful. Allison Washera um, was one of them, Zach Hatch, Cecil Fairchild, and they really kind of helped us over the years, you know, even um, our early instructors when we talk about you know who helped IA Med grow. And Lindsay Malden was one of those. All some of them have moved on to bigger, better things. And that's kind of what IMED is for. It was for educating EMS, providing more, you know, diversity. You know, we were took a stand against, you know, not even a stand. You know, I don't that's a little harsher point. I guess you know, when we changed our logo in support of the LBGQT, you know, month of June, you know, we received a lot of backlash. You know, within the EMS community, I got really nasty messages and, you know, the the Facebook page did. And, you know, all we were trying to do is we we want inclusivity and diversity. And and these individuals are out among us already, you know. And so, you know, it just we wanted to be different. You know, we wanted to bring something to the industry and we wanted to disrupt the industry and really show people what EMS training is. And it can be. And that's why our slogan is EMS Reimagined, because we brought a different perspective to that. And bringing that different perspective, we created not only, I think, high-quality, good online education, you know, we have pushed others to also, you know, set that same bar within their own organizations. But within that, we've also created a community of just like-minded individuals. There's thousands of them, you know, across the United States that are first responders that like the type of education that we put out, how we put out the education, making sure that the comments are well-managed and, you know, that we're having constructive discussion. If we see any bullying or anything like that, we're very quick to end that and ban that user because that is setting a precedence within the industry. When you have someone that everybody kind of looks up to, um, that organization, when they're doing certain things that in my own personal feeling and, you know, my own character, this is my opinion, I feel is just, just being right. You know, things have changed dynamically within the world and public safety for the history of public safety has been very siloed and it's still very, very young and new as an industry. People just don't realize that. Um, And so bringing that change in diversity and dynamic, you know, this isn't the way we've always done it. Do you have to look at, well, what we're doing this week, might be different next week and we have to be open to those changes and those you know and, and bringing that uh, that solution into our industry from outside industries. So you know with Imed it was the focus of I want to create high quality training. we create a phenomenal community of individuals and providers that see us not only as a, a champion for education but also a champion for just you know inclusivity, diversity and kind of pushing EMS in the direction I you know I think uh, it needs to be.
0: So you, you said uh, a lot of things that really resonate with me, and and thank you very much for kind of being very descriptive in how it originated and in the passion and the mission. Um, EMS reimagined, and I hear disruptor, and I hear things like um, you, you know people that are in and new that haven't been given the history or know the origins of EMS, and and uh, just a little plug uh, that that you know as well. John Moon uh, from the, uh, excuse me, Freedom House Enterprises Ambulance Service is going to be coming on the podcast. Um, the fantastic book that uh, Kevin Hazard wrote, uh, American Sirens. You know, So when we talk about that inclusivity and creating a space for everyone that's going to come to the table. We treat and go to patients that are unlike us from race, creed, orientation, ethnicity, and so on. And yet we still continue, in many cases, to see like you had articulated, people treating one another poorly as a result of their uh, orientation, ethnicity, um, beliefs spiritually, religiously, or otherwise. and And I love the fact that you're you're addressing that. Um, I wanted to point out, too, that you you are, as an organization, very receptive when I see comments of people going, yeah, it's good, and it's not as great as it could be. And and you guys see that, and you hear that, and you value that input, that you create a safe place for that constructive conversation to find out how they saw it uh, and how it can be improved for everyone. So even the people that aren't specifically uh, organizers and instructors within IAMED, if they're a user, if they have been a participate participant in the courses, they do have a say-so, and it is valued by each of you that are with IAMED. Is that a yes?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is what has grown. I mean, a lot of people don't know the history of IAMED. When we founded IAMED in the end of 2017, we were only an in-person, you know, four-day critical care course It wasn't even CAPC accredited at the time. You know, and within six years, we have grown that significantly, not only just in person courses, but just what we're able to provide um, as a single source training, you know, solution for the EMS community. Um, And I think in that growth and development, one of the key things is that myself and, you know, everybody a part of IAMed, you know, we supported that from an organizational culture. You know, that starts with the person at the top, right? And and I think I met is very much a proof of what you can do with your organization or your brand if you set up the right organizational culture. And each of it is just a little bit different with each organization. But within our organization, we really wanted to foster that inclusivity, um, one of the big things I was a proponent on and one of my interview questions that I would tell individuals and candidates is that I am as what I like to call a round table organization. I'm, I'm a huge fan of King Arthur and the round knights. But what I like so much about King Arthur and some of his stories is he took in and received that reception from everyone. Everybody was the same. There was no one else above him. There's no pedestal, there's no platform, there's no uh, you know, I, I didn't need that. I in order to be successful as a leader, you have to listen to what your organization needs and you have to listen to what your customers need. And I has always been adaptive to what our customers need. When we get feedback that, hey, we don't like this about your videos," I take it as constructive feedback. I don't defend that. Okay, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And I think as people have seen that we actually do take their feedback and then they actually see those changes get applied, that really shows them that, you know, this is innovative. Like what you guys were giving us suggestions on, you know, maybe six months ago, we've all now a fixed or addressed in the next course release or, you know, in improving our content delivery or our student experience because we do, I want to have the best experience out there. And I know I'm never going to have a hundred percent, but if I can strive for it and listen and make changes that are appropriate without pride, without ego, um, it really helps. And the more diverse you are and, and open, the more you're able to kind of see and it, uh, be aware. It's, it's interesting when
0: you, when you, when you and we and, and those of us that feel similarly about uh, inclusivity and or diversity, when people hear diversity, equity, inclusion off the bat, there is a preponderance. And I, I can't say what percentage of it is within society or even within EMS or public safety. They immediately shudder and the walls and the doors are shut and, and they can't hear that. Um, and, you know, it, when I talk to or I've had experts in diversity, equity, and inclusion come on and, and, and speak with us and share some of theirs. When when they say if people would just be open to the conversation and accept another perspective, even if you don't agree, right, the acceptance without agreement being present and mindful is you and I very much um, relish in, in that because there's things that we hear that, we may never ever do an action, yet we value the human that's in front of us that's sharing their, their perspective. And so the experts in the field that are coming from these previously maligned or not, not capable or because of politics and or racism or um, whatever other uh, force keeping them out of an organization or industry is, they, they said, don't hire me just based upon the color of my skin. But give us an opportunity to know what your organizations do and how we can serve your organization. And at it, it, it the least, how we can help you serve the communities that don't look and act and feel like you do, right? So that's truly what their message is when you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not just carte blanche opening the door and saying you have to hire, or, or a lot of times people hear in their minds, well, diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're lowering standards. And that is far from what what the experts in the industry that have really felt those uh, personal attacks and or professional um, attacks here and and that is the the exact opposite you so you look at people as is a valued I, I guess I'm getting to look I'm
1: like a human being yeah you know, Eric, they're humans you know at the end of the day, everybody's a human. everybody has good intent, you know they're. Even if they start out, you know, if they have bad intent, usually it starts out good somewhere in their own personal mind, whether you agree with that perspective or not is is irrelevant. Um, in order to be diversity, you know, and, and think inclusion and think about the future of EMS, you have to have the ability to have and keep a wide perspective because, you know, our, our EMS community, our first responder community is, is more diverse than it's ever been. you know there, there's more, you know transgender, there's more um, you know, ethnicity, there's more color and race involved in EMS. And it's still, when you look at the other industries, we are severely behind on diversity. And I think you hit on a little bit of a thing there. It's called a safe space, right? How do we create that safe space so these conversations can occur organically? and maybe grow to something, but right now it's getting better in my personal opinion, but historically we haven't provided that safe space and it's been well-known and not only well-known, established practice that we don't have a safe space. And we saw and we are still seeing that the industry does have a breaking point. And these individuals that don't have a safe space, well, They're not successful in self recovering themselves and they're dying by suicide at higher rates than they've ever experienced in our industry. So, you can't tell me that what worked last year or the year before is working today because it's clearly failing and we're not adapting to it near as quick as we need to. Now, in order to have that diversity and inclusivity, you know, it starts with you know, that safe space, you know, and that's kind of what I tried and Ally, our social media and marketing, you know, manager does an excellent job with is making sure that anyone on the IMA group page or email or at the email or contact or customer service, heck, I even answer the customer service phone sometimes. It bounces to me. I have no no shame in picking up the phone, but I want to make sure that individual is heard. They feel safe to share their experience, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent. And that should be the same thing in anywhere else because we practice that internally and externally, right? So social media, things like that, people see that there's this organization and there actually can be constructive critical dialogue when it comes to medicine protocols, procedures, things like that. And they're not going to get cut down. They're not going to get persecuted online. They're not going to, you know, we try to create that safe space because by creating that, that expectation, or I guess those boundaries within our, you know, our platform, you know, that in itself tells the industry where we stand and who we are. Right. I
0: I hear that. And and one of the things that popped into my head as you're saying that, and as I'm reflecting upon my experiences and then hearing other people's experiences uh, from moving and living all across the country and and the different uh, public safety roles that I've had, and, and seeing individuals become their title or their uniform or their badge uh, and not being their authentic self, uh, it, it creates an environment rich for the lack of caring and receptivity to others. Because now we, we've become lofty or, or like your, your reference to King Arthur, we now put ourselves on a pedestal um and, and a lot of times that's maybe we're suffering from imposter syndrome or or we're we're, we're putting up oh, our it, go ahead chris it,
1: it is imposter syndrome i think you're seeing a lot of that but it's because we have allowed it and that's the expectation right mm-hmm. it's, it's expected because the five supervisors i had before i made supervisor did the same thing right hey i got that that supervisor role i'm now you know and, and i'll be honest that happened to me when i became a paramedic i'm not the paramedic right i get to call the shots i i'm the guy with the pride and is in everything right it's mm-hmm. just being self-aware of it and you know having the industry more importantly be more self-aware of you know what pride and ego really is and what it really looks like because i think uh uh what a lot of people interpret as pride and ego um They might be a little bit off base, but what you just described, you know, Hey, I'm better than you because I'm a supervisor. Do it my way, not your way. I'm not going to listen to you. Like all of that is pride and ego in some form, you know, way, shape or form, you know? So, you know, I think just people need to be a little bit more aware of what that looks like. And and the detriment it actually does have to not only your leadership capabilities, but your own personal growth. You know, I tell a lot of people, um, the moment I actually started learning a lot more, was when I started saying, I don't know, because yeah. I finally took that humility step. I took that step into, you know, we talk about the bell curve, and I was riding that bell curve as a medic and then a flight medic. Hey, look, I am I got a patch. I, you know, it says, well, I got my wings. I'm I'm the best medic out there. You know, and so it, it, it happens to all of us. I'm just trying to bring more awareness to it and then bring it into the organizational culture, because if we can start identifying and being aware of it in an organization and the organization can set boundaries, I'm like, hey, you know, that's ego. You know, we can now, okay, nothing wrong with that, but now we can actually start addressing the problem versus saying, I don't know what I don't know. And I'm going to be blind to it. So
0: that's interesting perspective. Uh, We all have blind spots. And and when we deal with communication and we talk about feedback, a lot of times we still hear that that I was being criticized and we're trying to make that paradigm shift to giving and receiving feedback and, and, Ryan Thorne and myself uh, on, on our most recent time with the EMS Leadership Academy, uh, we were talking about normalizing the accountability conversation. And, and whatever that looks like from a positive perspective, from a performance improvement plan perspective, from a the, the person has done enough to basically remove themselves from the organization, you just need to help facilitate that with them. Uh, you know, the addition by subtraction type thing, you, you get rid of the negativity to improve the overall culture, um, but they've done it themselves. You know they they haven't done what the expectations are. They haven't met them. And when we can be okay and and thrive, where we're creating a safe environment, inclusive, um, diverse, and 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 again, that that's not always. You know, uh, people of color will tell me that if they're not just saying that you have to hire a person of color. You have to be diverse in order to have the positive culture, uh, the growth mindset of a culture and organization to continue to serve those people and, and take care of one another when the times get hard. And I know um, we're, we're segueing into when times get hard. And one of the things that I see is, is tagged on emails that we share back and forth, it's it, it's Chris, It's it's okay to not be okay. And I wanna know if you're comfortable sharing why that's important for you to share, why that's such a public thing for you. And, and before I get to you asking this question, I want to point out that the space that Robbie and Lisa created and and share when we do those, uh, academies and the summits, and and we're sharing what we believe to be uh, really good information with people and, and they create that space for people to come in there. And, and here, I know or knew that you had been dealing with some pretty weighty stuff emotionally. And wh- however that looks like for you. And as I have walked through my weighty stuff from depression and anxiety and, and 30 years ago, suicidality, um, and or deal with my wife and other people. It, there, there's a, a thing called validating and accepting and seeing people and honoring them in their moment. And and I said something to the effect that I see you, Chris. And I remember hearing their comments of, you know, saying, "Wow," because it was something that we all felt. We we became rather relational versus simply transactional in that moment where we were. Uh, creating a space and an opportunity. And, and, I, and I literally, um, whatever you were physically and emotionally going through, I, I knew some of that. And at the same time, I don't need to know all of it to know that you were hurting. And yet you still put your best foot forward and you still shine brightly and you still are a beacon of hope for people. So as as we talk about that, it's okay to not be okay and your walk with your mission for your 5013C and the changes that have been made that you need to make and, and wanna make public, that's a mission and a passion. And if you haven't walked in those shoes already, you seem either not genuine, not authentic, and people don't wanna hear you, but you are all those things. And I wanna give you an opportunity to just say this is how I also want to help people. It's not just through education from a from a knowledge standpoint on EMS training, but you also want to help people when it comes to emotional, uh, spiritual uh, damage, trauma, moral injury, post traumatic stress. So I'm going to shut up and let you go.
1: <laughs> no, that was really thoughtful and and you're right. What really stuck with me and made me kind of continue to stay in contact with you is, you know, first off, Lisa and Robbie did a phenomenal job with the MS leadership summit last year. And it was great to get those like-minded individuals together. And I, I shared a story and, and a talk that I had just written and it was, it was my first time kind of delivering that. And it felt better to do that as a recording versus live and in person, just because, you know, there, as you mentioned, there was some, um, there's some very challenging times I went through and, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening to this. And so I just want to kind of share a little bit. I like to say, Hey, you know, if you're going through something, you know, if you hear my story, this might actually trigger you. And if it does, you know, please reach out. You have the national suicide hotline you have your friends, heck, you can find me on Facebook. Um, But I just want to kind of put that out there. If you're, if you're struggling out there, you're not alone. And hopefully, you know, by sharing my story, which is, it's okay to not be okay. I have that on all my e- email signatures. It's the slogan of our charity. Why? Because we need to create that safe space. And that word, at least for me, in my opinion, is what it means to create a safe space. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay here. You know, this is this is this space is full of alcoholics. It's it's full of people suffering from depression, it's suffering, you know, from people who are doing diversions and substance abuse. There's we're out there in the public safety world. Okay. We're just not verbal. They're the ghosts in the background. Those are the ones that you don't hear about. And the ones that you do finally hear about, it's either because they got better and they finally got help, or it's they didn't have enough with them to self-recover and they're no longer with us. Um I struggled very heavily with uh you know ptsd and, and mental health issues and it really just kind of peaked in my career and the talk i gave you know, i talk about lighting a matchbook you know if you start at one end uh, you're starting over your career it's not so hot it's not so bright it's not doing really anything but heck by the time that flame keeps going it gets towards the end it's it's very bright it's very hot it's you know you can't handle it anymore you want to drop it and that's kind of what i relate to as, as far as just all the baggage i kind of took on over years and you know i I did it to myself. That's all I can say. You know, I'm not going to blame any agency or any industry. It's, just, I chose to get in this line of work. You know, um, some people I think are mo- more predisposed to this than others. Um, it could have been their upbringing. It could have been past trauma before they became an EMT that now just fuels it or adds to it. Uh, there's a lot of different, you know, factors that kind of weigh into that. But the the biggest thing with it's okay to not be okay is creating a safe space. And like you mentioned, I see you. I see the pain that you're going through. You're not alone. Um, too long, we have been silent about things and things that being silent are not changing. Um, I have a good friend and mentor, Jim Green. He's the uh, uh, manager for critical care um, for Penn State Lifeline. Now he used to, he's still one of our instructors that I met, but, you know, something that he told me early on when I first met him there has always stuck to me, you know, is either you choose that or you get to choose to elevate that, you know? So you either choose where things are and if that, if you're not going to do anything, that means you're accepting that. And so I guess I guess had to come to a point. Am, am I going to accept this or am I going to do something about it? And I'll say that all the way up until uh, January, 2022, I was kind of accepting it. I was kind of pushing it a little bit, but more or less just kind of accepting it because, you know, I wasn't quite there yet. You know, I kind of had some things kind of uh, um, that I was working on, you know, therapy, things like that, CPTSD that I was trying to uh, work through, but, Even in the end, uh, it it all came to a head January 7th. You know, I forgot my meds. I didn't have my service dog because it was a last minute flight. Um, I went out to go teach a uh, ventilator course. And um, it was the first time I'd been in a fire station or, you know, in that environment since the pandemic had started. So, you know, I got heavily triggered and, you know, I was burned out. I was just, you know, a lot of things were kind of just coming to a head. And that led to a really... Negative experience. You know, I had a sentinel event that forever kind of, in my event, um, changed my life. So I immediately uh, had to take a couple months off of work and really kind of focus inwardly on myself and really kind of what led me there. And more importantly, like, how do I get through this? And um, a lot of people I think that go through, uh, you know, some mental health struggles and things like that, they, they, you know, helping or working with other people or trying to do something with that mission, just it's its part of their own recovery. Um, what happens oftentimes is it just kind of falters because they either get better or they get worse and, you know, it kind of falls by the wayside. Um, when I went through that uh, experience, you know, it was 10 days in a behavioral health hospital filled with addicts. That's what it was. People recovering from DTs, people coming off of heroin, fentanyl, you name it, I was the lone person in there that was in there for a suicide attempt. They put me in the same place I would find all my other patients. You know, it was not a good facility. Um, they did not have the greatest treatment. They wouldn't let me bring my service dog in. They, it was a horrible, horrible experience for a first responder in, in need. And what I realized after that experience, and I still do to today, is this industry really doesn't have its stuff together. They don't, not by a long shot. I walked that line. I saw what the healthcare process was. I've been through that and it didn't work (laughs) at all for me. I'm not saying that other people out there don't have a similar experience or a different experience altogether. But for me, the system failed me. And it's failed me in the past when I try to use EAP over the years. So taking to Jim Green's comment, I decided not to accept it anymore and to disrupt it. And so that's when we started the Dramatic Foundation, and I started kind of getting some traction, getting some people together, and trying to organize a mission. Um, and then over the time, we started getting more and more interest from. You know, other first responders, dispatchers, you know, law enforcement, nurses, even like, hey, is the wood medic foundation for me? And, you know, we're like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, in the naming and, and the initial mission when I created it, you know, I just didn't have that wherewithal. I didn't really know what I don't know. And now I do. And so we, you know, we're currently in the middle of the rebrand and relaunch of the Mind the Frontline organization or foundation and the reason for that is it's it's inclusive of everything on the front line when it comes to public safety dispatchers current and, and former veterans you know active duty military law enforcement emts firefighters you know all of them physicians nurses we we care about everybody that's on that front line you know um and the biggest driving portion for mind the front line is the fact that you know, just like with education I met, I felt like it's, it's not going the right direction the way I agree. So I can either accept it or I can do something about it. Whether I'm doing the right thing or not, if this is the right way, I, I can't answer that right now. It's too early. Um, but with I met, everybody told me that wasn't the right thing either when I started. And, you know, here six ways, six years later, it's, it's, you know, it's made a difference, I believe, in our community, you know, not just, you know, from a revenue or business side, but High quality education, high quality patient care, you know, when you improve a whole region and they understand and can deliver better medicine, that's an impact you just never see and you can't measure. And I'm hoping to bring that disruption into the mental health space because it wasn't, it didn't do me right. So, you know, having a good EAP program with people that are trained, they're first responder based. I mean, we have law enforcement, we have military that active, you know, that are active on our peer support team being inclusive of all of that. We have a, a physician who has struggled on our board. You know, we're myself, you have a veteran, you know, we are trying to bring all perspectives to look at this and go, okay, it's not working. What do we think is going to work? And so that's taking feedback from the community. That's taking our own experiences. That's bringing in outside subject matters to help us grow and go down the right path. But we want to have an inclusive peer support, channel you know EAP program I, when you say EAP program I think a lot of people just shut down right after that this is a this is a support program really you know whether it be mental health wellness health you know anything but we want to start breaking that connotation down of you know, these words, these buzzwords we've gotten used to over the years that now create mental barriers because that's the trauma we've experienced when someone says EAP program, and I hear about a bad thing that they want or I associate that with Oh shoot Bruce did this and now Bruce isn't here because Bruce had a mental health problem I, I don't have a mental health problem I'm not going to go to EAP we don't we want to remove some of those barriers so you know when it comes to the Wounded Medic Foundation, and now, now the Mind the Frontline Foundation I think you're going to see that. One of the things you'll find if you ever give talks about EMS and mental health is there's not a lot of data out there. There's almost none. There's no data out there that shows any one of these EAP programs actually works. They're just federally mandated. So wouldn't it be nice to have data and research behind this? So that's the other mission of the Mind the Frontline is we want to be able to collect data we want to be able to get research behind this so we can understand what is really working and what really is not working, because we really don't have a barometer, let alone an anchor point, you know, to where to go. So, you know, it's all inclusive of how we disrupt things. It's no longer am I accepting it. I was able to find like-minded individuals, like I did with IEMed, that are passionate about mental health and first responders, and and you're seeing that organization in its very emphases, you know, infancy sages, and it's growing. So, Chris, I want to thank you for being radically
0: um, transparent and profoundly vulnerable. Uh, for, for people that are hurting and, and struggling that don't believe that there's a resource out there for them, uh, and all the people that I know through collegial uh, interactions and professional relationships, we have those resources available to you. and We know that one size does not fit all. Um, you know, from from your placement, you've experienced that specifically and you can speak to that and, and what you've heard from other people that have been inappropriately uh, placed in, in, whether it be treatment or um, not having trauma-informed therapists and counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists. So building, building that understanding and awareness, um, when you said accept, you know, you, we're, we're not going to continue to accept this uh, similarly to we can't continue to accept an environment, and a culture that is that is um, holding people down and not allowing them to thrive and and truly be their best, most op- authentic selves, uh, knowing that we've come with burdens and pains and hardships and guilt and shame. Uh, and interestingly, as you as you shared today, it reminded me I was uh, I did a podcast with Dave Dashinger uh, in a licensed clinician the other day, uh, on responder resilience. And it was the first time I told my almost entire story. And I thought, as I was saying this, this is important to share. And I immediately went to I'm being too vulnerable and I might lose business opportunities or relationship opportunities. And at the same time, I thought, if that is why I don't have an opportunity to work with or for an organization or a group of people, then it wouldn't have been the right fit anyhow and and they're not ready and and that's not an it's not an attack right they're just not where they are in a growth mindset for this thing and they may do exceedingly well in the things that they're doing exceedingly and exceptionally well at um but if hearing my story and me dealing with the consequences of my actions and behaviors is off-putting or frightening to them uh I understand that because we are human and, and hurt people do hurt people. Right. And, and lastly, before I give you an opportunity to kind of, to close out and give people an opportunity to find out where they can connect with you and I a med or, um, your new rebrand organization, uh, is that we are both walking stories and living stories of resilience and redemption. We have, overcome and are working through and continue to share not only our passion but our prior pain and we don't identify as that anymore it is something that we had to deal with or are dealing with and we have a light that we can jump into those holes with of darkness with those people that are suffering and when they look at us and go why did you jump in this hole with me well we have a light and we know a way out and as long as we can help get them out there's Paths that they can take once we get them to a point where they accept what's going on, and also a light of redemption. We are both profoundly successful, and at the same time, we we, we both go how how can this even be the case based upon where we came from? And I think that grounding and that vulnerability and that transparency that we are able to share uh, lets us have more fruitful relationships with people. And it honors the people that have that haven't had. Excuse me. the the relationships that would help support them. And uh, suicide is real. And if you talk to Jeff Dill, like I did earlier in the year, the numbers are alarming. Just this year alone in the first responder community. So um, I say that, and and I want to end on, on on something positive. Uh, Chris Smetna, you are a disruptor. You are a beautiful collaborator. You are a wonderful spirit. And IAIMED is a culture that will be there for people. It is responsive to people. And it is changing in relationship with conversations and feedback. And I want you to share how people can get in contact with you. And I want you, again, to scream from the rooftops what your organization is, the 501 how people can participate get involved and or even become after vetting and training a peer support person um so chris i'll I'll leave it to you before we do our outro
1: well eric i i see you right there and and thank you for sharing because you're right you know this there's a lot of people out there and those are the ones I, I, I do hurt for. And, and, you know, the reason why we jump in that hole and I go back into that fire when I can is because I do know of, of a way out. I'm not saying it's the right way out, but at least it's not in the fire anymore. And, uh, you know, I don't get them all. I've had, I've had fatalities, unfortunately that I've been working with and it just, it's a part of the business and those, those stick with you. You know, it's not the ones that you save. It's the ones that you lost, uh, cause you go back and you ask yourself, did I do enough? You know, there's a lot of energy there that you, you bring on, but you know, that's part of the healing process for myself. And it's also part of the mission of mind. The front line is making sure that if you feel alone, you know, you're, you don't have to feel alone unless you want to really, you know yeah. um I would share that with anybody, you know, you don't have to feel alone at any point in time. You guys can, you can reach out to our peer support, you know, Vince and his team do a phenomenal job with that and, we're all involved with it. When it comes to getting a hold of us, you know, you can all find iamed by doing a quick Google search. If you don't already or aren't already part of our uh, LMS, but iamed.com. If you are looking for training and education, but more importantly, um, the themindthefrontline.org is where you will find things about the charity. Um, we are setting up the new web page and and getting that all kind of built out and the supporting forms um, and setting up donations. You know, really. What we could use is, is unfortunately, I hate to say this, but your money, you know, this is how things change. And people think that money grows on trees. And, and I created IAMED, not through investors, but my own 401k. A lot of people don't know that, but I cashed out my 401k and started IAMED. I invested and risked everything for that. And I'm doing something very similar for mine, the front line. But what, what would be helpful is getting agencies and companies and even individuals to get a part of this, because if you want to see a change, well, I can promise you this organization, the Mind the Frontline organization is going to change this industry. Mark my words. So thank you very much for sharing. Uh,
0: One of the things, and I I have a friend that um, has been dealing and struggling for several years, very serious uh, issues when it comes to mental health. And uh, the feelings of desire for suicide and, and be, you know being that very spontaneous um, you know, kind of action. And, and fortunately, to this point, that person has uh, has found a reason to choose not to end their life. And as we've had conversations over the last several years, there's, there's a comment that that person will say is, "Do you have space for me?" And and if if we have space or we don't, being honest is the most important part because that transference, all that energy, input and output received, if if I don't have space and I'm if I'm already struggling and then I take on your emotional burdens right at the moment, it's not like I shouldn't be able to help you. I literally can't help you. And and that that honest conversation also needs to be there. So that's that feedback. We're creating that true relational perspective to say, brother, sister, I want to. And at the same point, thankfully, I have built so many other cadre of resources that I want you to to be able to contact X, Y, or Z person or, or organization, and they will get you on the right path. And creating that space is important. So you've created two spaces, one in education and one for mental health and resilience. And I applaud you, I appreciate you, and I know you don't do it for applause. And Whatever your driving force is, and, and and I know the people that listened today felt what that reason is, um, I can't thank you enough for sharing. To a beautiful relationship uh, that we have and, and is, is sporadically done as it will continue to be because we're both busy, I want you to know that you can reach out, and if you ask do you have space, Eric, I will be honest with you if if I do or don't, and and I think that we we owe that to our loved ones and the people that we work with to be able to have that, that quick, you know, three second conversation. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to the EMS improv uh, podcast where we have engaged, where we've tried to be very mindful and we've certainly heard some compelling stories. And Chris Smetna, Smetna um or Smitty, uh, I want to thank you. And, and I'll just, uh, I'm going to say may a peace which surpasses all understanding be with you and you continue to be a light that shines. And I'll give you the last word.
1: Well, just thank you again for having me and opening the space so I could have this conversation candidly and share my story and the mission behind the Mind the Frontline Foundation. And like I mentioned, you know, our biggest support right now is if we could get your donation at MindTheFrontline.org. And it's okay to not be okay. Please understand that. You know, we need to be more mindful Um, as you go out in the world after you listen to this podcast. You know, I ask just one thing, check in with three people, just say, hi, I see you. That's all you need to do. You'll never understand what you might do for that individual that day by just that light touch, but it does make a world of difference for the other individual on the other end. So thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you.